and there were thousands of geese and they were making those geese noise, you know. The whole valley was full of it and, and uh, I remember waking up, coming out of my tent one morning, they were all gone and it was so quiet. Welcome to Polar Podcasts, where you'll hear stories from geologists who've spent their careers, their lives, exploring and studying the remarkable and remote geology of Greenland. Why did they become fascinated with Greenland? What were the problems and the discoveries that drove them? And what was it like working in these remote places where few people venture, even now? I'm Julie Holtz. In this episode, we hear more from Björn Thomason, Emeritus Senior Scientist at the Geological Survey of Denmark and Greenland, about some of his experiences with wildlife around Fleming Fjord in central East Greenland while prospecting for barium, lead and zinc. The geese, Canada geese, big beautiful uh, birds and they, um, they nest in, in the summertime, you know, they fly up from somewhere south and uh, spend the summer up there. They build their nest and have their youngsters in there and then in the autumn they fly back and you should, when you find them, you should leave them alone uh, when they nest because uh, there are moments where they shift their, their feather where they can't fly. I like them, they're, they're so beautiful. And then I had experience one year, I stayed for a longer time. I always tried to prolong my, my season into September. And so often I stayed after the other had got home with somebody, some companion. And we were in the beginning of September in uh, the route of Fleming, of south of Fleming Fjord, the route of Vittenhalvø. It's a large valley, Pingeldale, and we had a camp, and apparently the geese they were collecting, coming together there before the uh, the big tour south across the Atlantic. So you had this mouth of the valley, and there were thousands of geese, and they were making those geese noise, you know, all the time. So the whole valley was full of it, and, and uh, I remember waking up, coming out of my tent one morning, they were all gone. And it was so quiet then, also because it had started to freeze. So all the water, what you have, it sound in the valleys, there always water running down and making, sometimes like a motor roads in, in the distance, but noise. So no running water, no geese, uh, totally quiet. It's a fantastic place, Sugardale on the west side, you have what's called uh, Staunlingsalpa. The Storning Alps. At three kilometer high peaks, alpine peaks with glaciers in between. And to the east, you have the flat uh, sedimentary basin, uh, Jameson Land Basin, which is yeah, flat and gentle and uh, covered with vegetation. It's green, and therefore there's a lot of musk oxen. I always think of the Ice Age when I see the musk mm-hmm. oxen. And the musk oxen, they're living freely there in herds of eight to ten, moving around in the landscapes. And uh, when you pass them, they'll stand there looking at you half a day, moving their head, first looking north, and then an hour later, when we pass by, look west, and then when we pass to the south, they will still be looking, standing and looking there. So I think they had their experience, lifetime experience into uh, prospectors, uh, geologists walking past. They're moving around there in, in uh, like this really. system is a bull will have to collect some uh, some females and uh, so they can rear their, their youngsters. So such a, a herd will consist of eight to ten buskocks with the bull and, and the females and the youngest. And and the only natural enemy, that's the wolf. So they handle the wolf 
in a way because a wolf can't hurt a grown-up muskox, but can eat attack and eat the calves. So uh, the defense is to stand up in a circle with the horns outside and the youngest in the middle. So the wolves can't do anything. That's very efficient. It's not uh, very efficient against hunters because you can go up and shoot down and they'll stand there and you can shoot the whole herd. Of course, now they're protected. So we didn't do it, but take photos. But they're very uh, impressive animals. The problem is with this system of uh, a bull securing a lot of females is that there are some bulls which have no females. So they're loners. And they're, they're not so friendly. They're, they're not satisfied with life for some reason. So they will tend to attack you if you get too near to those. So you should leave those alone. But, but when you have a herd, uh, you can walk up to them and take your photos. So we had found a large uh, stratabound sedimentary deposit of barite. Barite is a barium sulfate mineral. Most extraordinary locality which I had mapped out and... Uh, Others had found it, but I had spent half a summer there doing a geological mapping scale, one to two thousand, fairly detailed and sampling. And that's the most stunning structures because what you see in uh, the cliff down to uh, a glacier, and you can, when you're careful, you can walk along that. It's quite deep down, but and a 10 meter thick exposure of uh, nearly pure barites, but all the structures, they're like sediments. That mean you have the bedding. Also the bedding laying and you are cross bedding, which is a very well-known structure from, from sandstones and uh, load cast and classical sedimentary structures. But when you bang out the sample and analyze it, you can make it heavy and keep out as, as nearly pure barium sulfide. So, so uh, my model was uh, nearby we have a, a quartz barite vein cutting up through the sequence. And both are mineralized also with galena and sphalerite. Galena and sphalerite are lead and zinc sulfide minerals. So the model was that, well, this this vein has been the feeder, and when it had been hitting the limestone, a favorable host rock, it has precipitated along along a parallel to both sides, parallel with, with the dike. And then I looked at the geological map and said, well, where else in the area do we have a situation where quartz veins, and that was the old uh, Laukakok map, and uh, Laukakok people, Danish state, got it used to made in, in uh, 30s and, and 40s, 50s actually, in Greenland. They put uh, economic features on their maps, which uh, they didn't do in, in the geological survey in the old days. Which, that was the attitude there, that economic geology will lead to industry, we do the scientific investigation in Greenland. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I look at Laukakok's map, and Say, what else do we have quartz vein cutting up in the upper permian? And we had a locality just east of uh, Mr. Sweet Bay. Uh, so I wanted to investigate, and I think I can do that alone. I'm, I'm close to, uh, to the airfields. Somebody can help me. And uh, just send me over there and come and get me uh, in 10 days. I mean, I've done that before. This was near, and I had already joined. So I spent the first half of September there, walked up to the Oxidale, uh, to that locality, and it fitted up beautiful. The crossway had been investigated uh, earlier during the investigation for the lead zinc mine in the 50s. So it was mapped out and I could see it be trenched. And then I worked at the pure, pure exposure there. I went up in the small creeks and there I had the, the barite, 
separate bare right, så går det, because it's alternating uh, layers of horizon, of, uh, white and grey, white and grey, and the grey is a little dolomite, so I think it's originally been an evaporated sequence. An evaporite is a rock formed by precipitation of salt minerals from evaporating water, often in shallow seas or inland lakes in desert areas. Uh, where the, the gypsum has, has gone, and uh, then it's been very porous, and the permeable and the solutions so just sink fine, we'll, we'll settle down here. So exactly the same sort of structures and mineralization as uh, in... Uh, Bredehorn. Bredehorn is, is an awful location. Topographically, it's uh, 1,200 meters above sea level. Have a look over the whole Jameson But when you think for mining, it's it's not the best place. But this is absolutely next to to uh, the deep water and the Mr. Sweet. So uh, actually, we come back next year and with, with a small drill and did some drilling. So we have some, some uh, cores and um, I made some estimated or reserve calculation rough estimates, tonnes and grades. And I was alone there for 10 days and I had two funny experiences. One was I had a small tent and a depot outside with a tarpaulin, or as you do too, when it rains at night. And there were a family of fox, uh, fox family, four youngsters, and they loved that tarpaulin because they could jump on it like, like human children. So that was the sound I heard every morning, the young foxes jumping in my, on my tarpaulin. So that was okay. Then they, one day I remember I went out in the big valley heading south from uh, Mr. Sree, bottom of the valley, and I was going to hike up uh, the mountainside further south. Got out. I had a, a rifle for uh, security, but you can't carry a rifle in, in the field. Nice to have in in the tent for security during the night. But And then I saw, just in my bed, Absolutely fresh polar bear print, uh, footprints, and it's been freezing the night, and I could see the thin ice uh, cover, and it's been pressing the ice down there. So a few hours before this polar bears, we must have crossed somehow. And then I got quite scared, and I headed back for my camp. I didn't dare follow the the bottom of the valley, so I had to go up in the, in the, in the mountain slopes. And another time, I when I was on my way back been hiking up and on, on the range there, up to the upper pyramid. Coming down, it's been a long day, I was tired, I was carrying a rifle. And it's a very narrow gully, and uh, there was this uh, lone bull mosque standing there. I had to get past, and what to do? So I started to throw uh, rocks on him, and he didn't bother. And you know, when they're angry, they make those noises, and <laughs> crashing the, like a rear bull in, in the ground before. Mm. And I kept, I was, I was so tired. So I started to fire rockets on him, uh, with the signal rockets. And just at a certain, uh, I was quite 10, 10 meter away or something. And, uh, this narrow gap. At some time, he understood that he should be afraid and he moved. And then he moved and he was running and I was uh, walking down. At the same time, I could see him. And this big flat valley, South as Mr. Sweet, Mr. Sweet Valley, it's called Delta Dale. Uh, he was running across the valley, and then came the the drama because at the other side of the valley there was a herd of muskets, uh, and in come this bull at full speed. And what happened? The bull over there in the head, and he was standing out, and the bull there, and then they started to fight. And you know when when bulls fight, 
or skugs like like deer, and they just bang their head against each other until one of those get, get tires. And finally, my bull, he was thrown out and ran away. So I think he must have had, had a very hard day. Stone at and, and, and uh, rockets, and then uh, had to fight with that other bull. I'm Julie Hollis, and you've been listening to Polar Podcasts. In the next episode, we hear more from Emeritus Professor Kent Brooks about an unusual rock in East Greenland that led to years of research about the nature of the Earth's mantle.